Um, I've got this thing, infrastructure, it's a boring word. <laughs> Where did that come from? Who do I have to shoot? Yeah, well, that came from me. <laughs> Perfect. It is a boring word. It's basically, infrastructure is just a tool for creating well-being for people. People, well-being, well, not exactly what you expect to hear from the head of the think tank Infrastructure New Zealand. I'm meeting Paul Blair at his Queen Street office overlooking the towers and parks and motorways of central Auckland. And to get there on foot, dodging the dozens of orange cones in the roadworks, is a lesson in infrastructure itself. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today the detail looks at the 11 infrastructure projects that are first in line to be fast-tracked to create hundreds of jobs and boost the economy. There are 11 fast-track projects, the Auckland Harbour Bridge Sky Path, the high-density housing, as well as more walkways and cycleways. The National Papakainga Network, one of the 11 projects included in the COVID-19 recovery fast-track consenting bill. Six iwi, hapu and Fano housing projects covered. Roading upgrades, a Picton ferry dock and terminal upgrade and a cycle and walkway between Petone and Nauranga in Wellington. Yeah, they are an interesting mix and I suppose it goes to um, what sort of um, New Zealand do we want to build, right? And you'll see that the mix has changed here and it's a bit more sustainable, it's a bit more green, um, and I think that's deliberate. You know, our resource management system, not just the Resource Management Act, but our resource management system has unfortunately failed New Zealanders and there's been considerable independent evidence of that. But we, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world when it comes to the resources that we have here. I think the World Bank thinks that we're one of the eighth wealthiest countries in the world per capita in those resources. I'm not suggesting we exploit them, but my point is we're not the eighth wealthiest country in the world, and normally there's a correlation. So there's something in our system there which is not working. Um, our environment has degraded since the early 1990s. Uh, we have the second most uh, expensive housing in the world. Um, we, ha- we suffer droughts and poor water quality despite having an abundant water resource. So there are many, many issues with um, you know, the amazing gifts that we've been given for our environment in New Zealand, but they are not in balance with creating um, a better environment for uh, animals, birds, diversity, biodiversity, or for people, or for our economic growth. So we need to find an answer. It's kind of interesting that the head of infrastructure New Zealand is talking in this way because and, and looking at this list, in fact, I think there is only one of those 11 is a, is a roading project. And I guess traditionally you would say that's infrastructure. Yeah, and, and I think that um, infrastructure is a boring word is perhaps where you started, but I think infrastructure is just one tool, and there are many tools to achieve well-being for Kiwis. And yeah, um, some of the boring words are horizontal infrastructure, that's sort of rail tracks and roads, and that's been the shorthand. And, and we've got to remember we had sort of almost 10 years under a national government where that was their signature, was roads of national significance. But infrastructure is, is a very, very broad term. It's, it's the physical platform on which society generates well-being. So if you think of it really, really broadly, um, in its broadest definition, you know, green infrastructure, planting the environment, um, is as much part of um, a platform for well-being as a road, a rail, a busway, um, social housing, our electricity network, or the um, the connectivity that we got over Zoom, without which we would not have run this country. So 
very, very broadly, um, infrastructure is about what do we want to achieve, what sort of standard of living do we want to achieve, and then we go and we get after it. I can announce a central plank in our economic recovery plan, and that's the first tranche of projects that will be fast-tracked through the RMA. It will mean that projects which are already funded can get underway quickly, providing jobs and stimulus across the country. Notified consents generally take about four to six months. Fast-tracking will see them take about 45 to 70 days. The first projects have been chosen because they are ready to go, provide at least 1,200 jobs, and because they align with the long-term challenges the government has already taken, uh, was taking on before COVID arrived in housing, the environment and transport. The point is that in New Zealand, um, resource management approvals um, have got costly, long, uh, complex and slow. So um, it's not unusual for us to take 10 years to consent a road and it's that slowness which the fast-track legislation attempts. At the moment, our resource management system, if you think of four well-beings, it has eight possible outcomes, a positive outcome on economic, social, cultural or environmental, or a negative outcome. So that's eight. In effect, what our Resource Management Act does is only measures one-eighth of those outcomes. So it only looks at you mitigating the negative effects on environment if you had a fabulous outcome on the social consequences for people or you really improved cultural outcomes or you really improved economic outcomes, those are broadly ignored in the process today. So it's unbalanced. And um, that's what we need out of a fundamental reform of the resource management system. So on average, applications for resource consents typically take around four to six months. You're saying it could be longer. I think for infrastructure projects and projects of national significance, it's significantly longer than mm. that. I think a- four to six months is an average that hides a lot of ills, particularly for the more complex projects. Well, one of these on the list is the Sky Path, yep. the Auckland Harbour Bridge uh, walking yep. and cycling project. It's been around, the idea has been around for decades. It has been around for decades. So um, Bike Auckland put out a timeline on it the other day. And you could arguably, arguably go back 70 years when they yeah. promised a harbour crossing. Um, but certainly in the last decade, there has been proposals. A protest on the Auckland Harbour Bridge has been called off after new plans for the cycle and walkway revealed a bigger project and a budget blowout. Now, the design of the new sky pass means that it won't be clipped on the side. It'll actually be attached to the piers. That means it can be wider, five metres wide. It'll have room for cyclists as well as pedestrians, as well as people who just want to stop and take in the view. It'll connect the North Shore Sea Path right down here to West Haven. But part of our system is that we tend to look at the money that we have available uh, and then we trade off the outcomes. And there simply hasn't been the money or the vision to, to find the money to create the outcome of a, a walking cycling path between you know, central Auckland and the North Shore. I think we need to change that. What of these projects really stands out? You know, is there any one in particular? I think they all stand out as great, great projects. Uh, uh, you know... We've got to remember at the high level that when, when a bid went out for shovel-ready projects in the space of perhaps two to three weeks, um, you know, $136 billion worth of bids were put in. We're going to fund $3 billion of that. I'm not saying that 136 were all fabulous projects, but it just gives you a hint of the size of the demand for good investment here. And again, um, there's some great projects in here. Um, under ordinary times, these neither would have the money nor would they have the resource consent ability to get through in 
less than years. So, but can I just be clear on this? These 11 mm. already had the funding in place uh, before, before COVID-19 came along? No, I think it depends. So uh, looking at the top one on this list, the Kaikohe um, water mm. storage facility, I believe that that money has been made available through the Provincial Growth Fund, sort of almost as emergency funding. So there's okay. one where the funding has come available, but the resource consent you know, is, is going through this fast-track process. Now, water storage in New Zealand uh, can take decades if it gets approved at all. Well, as you just heard, about 70 jobs will be created by the Kaikohe Water Storage Project. Far North Mayor John Carter told our reporter Katie Doyle what the facility will mean for Northland, which struggled in drought throughout last summer. This is a huge step forward for us in the far north and in Northland, indeed across our nation. Uh, Water retention is really important in this day and age. And what it does mean for us is that we can... Uh, refocus our uh, production and um, utilise the very fertile soil we have for around the Kaikoe's east and west into the Hokianga and uh, etc. for horticulture, which will mean um, uh, job opportunities for our people, which is really, really important, and also means that the um, Maori landowners will be beneficiaries of this as well. You know, under the former national government, they tried very hard to get irrigation done. Uh, we, we had practically none done. In Nelson, there is a Waimea irrigation scheme which would support the town water supply for Nelson, which is, you know, occasionally critically goes through droughts, and it would also allow higher-value agri, not polluting agri, I hasten to say, but higher-value agri, and to give environmental benefits. I, I believe that's been going for a minimum of five years and probably ten-plus uh, in New Zealand, our resource management uh, system, not just the RMA, but our system, um, enables incumbents to, to block positive progress. It also enables, which is the nature of politics, a noisy few by percentage to hold up the needs of the majority. And really, infrastructure, as I say, is about the needs of the public as a whole. It's never going to be perfect, and, and it's your right in democracy to have your say. But um, you know, there are so many things here where the broader population suffers uh, because of the the noisy actions of a few who are perfectly able to protest, but at some point you've got to pick a stake and say, is 80% support enough? Is 90% support enough? What we've tended to do is to say that if there's 3% dissension, it doesn't go ahead. The environmental groups have raised a number of concerns. One of the key ones that uh, was raised this morning was around that this would fly in the face of your government's efforts to improve our biodiversity and, in fact, reverse the decline in biodiversity. Will it? Uh, no, I don't think it will do that in a ma- any material way, no. Well, they argue that these projects such as uh, the Cycle Walkaway in Wellington needs to consider things like penguins and the biodiversity in that area, and there simply won't be enough time if, you've, if you're only allowing 40 to 70 days for objections. Well, you can't speed up consent processes without speeding up consent processes. There is a bit of a trade-off here in terms of how many people can participate. We are removing rights of individuals to uh, participate and effectively leaving it to peak bodies, be they environmental NGOs or um, industry groups or pro-infrastructure groups or iwi. 
Um, but um, we are being clear that in, in this two-year period for which the legislation lasts, rights of participation are truncated. Now, the protections in that include uh, the uh, panel being chaired by an environment court judge who has the duty to apply the normal RMA principles. For these named 11 projects, they will go to an expert panel. So they've been effectively considered by the Minister. They will go to this expert panel and the time frame in here, which you'll remind me of, is... 45 to 70 working days. Well, does that mean that they could be ready to go by September? Uh, from a resource consent, perhaps, um, but that's where you get into the fact that it takes more than a resource consent to deliver a project. In, in order for a project to be delivered, it has to have the funding. Well, I think most of these are funded or will be funded. Um, you have to ha- then do the procurement, which is the way that you buy the service, and you've got to figure out which way you do that. Um, By what service, though? So if, if we're going to look at um, Papakura to Pukekohe electrification, then that's a specialist project, and so you would tender that out to specialist providers. And you have to fig- uh, figure out what procurement method you're going to use, what's an acceptable balance of risk and return. You have to have you know, the tender box going on. So what, what tends to happen in the old world before this fast track is you, you, you go and get your resource consent, and that could take you years, then sort of linearly you go and you do your tendering for your procurement and that might take, that has been known to take, you know, a year plus as well. Uh, then you organise to get your specialist staff on site. Then you start moving concrete or steel or putting trees in or whatever it is. So the whole, whole point of this is that if these are meant to be shovel-ready and creating jobs, fast-tracking is fantastic because it removes one of the major barriers. A Māori housing trust in Kaitaia says it will be able to house people in need two years sooner with a fast-tracked consenting process. I think these changes are going to streamline Māori housing in a way that just was not possible pre-COVID. Hikorawai Trust in Kaitaia relocates and refurbishes old state houses with 24 homes set to be done up over the next two years. Its chief executive, Ricky Houghton, told our reporter, Mariana Johnson, it can now get whānau into warm, affordable homes faster. It enhances and protects Māori land and processes. It does that in a way that isn't currently possible. Um, I have to work with a local council and a regional council. Uh, I get a permit, for example. One council calls it a drain. The other council calls it a stream. So their interpretations are very, very different. But there are other things that need to be done in order for shovels to actually start moving dirt. So at the bottom end, you know, you're 45 days. Um, you know, you could have a resource consent in 45 working days, which is great. Assuming you've got the money as well, that's great. But then you also need an accelerated procurement process. And you need the industry to have the capacity and the skills on hand. You might need gravel. That might need to move from a different district to come in here. So these are, that's the complexity of it. Um, it's, it's not like... Um, it's sort of using that Grant Robertson analogy that, you know, when he said the economy is, is, is not like flicking a switch, it's like warming up your oven. Uh, it's sort of that way in complex infrastructure as well. You know, mm. it, it takes a really coordinated approach. Um, And the other thing it takes is a risk approach. So um, luckily COVID has given us a real shot in the arm of urgency, Um, but it has been uh, our preference to be slow and to count every bean, which is very important with public money, but we've done it in such a way that um, we've been incredibly slow to get projects delivered. 
this is a, a really good indication of how government can can use its powers, um, particularly at the moment, to clear away some of the regulatory hurdles that um, face many of these projects, and, and not just these 11, but right across the country on and large scale and small scale. So they can clear that regulatory hurdle and get on with things um, and allow you know, the people earmarked for those projects to get on with the work and also the people who benefit from those projects to, to benefit earlier rather than later. Alan McDonald is with the EMA, a group of 7,000 employers and manufacturers in the Upper North Island. Of the 11 projects, he says the electrification of rail from Papakura to Pukekohe... It's critical, I think, for the growth that's occurring in South Auckland. You know, there's new suburbs popping up there like mushrooms and it's you know, very large numbers of people going into that area and if anyone from South Auckland are probably still getting over the trauma of trying to get through the roadworks from Takanui to the city, that's gone, but they're going to move those roadworks 7K south to Drury. Now, without that backup electrification of the rail network, which will allow full capacity uh, from the central rail loop to service trains out to there, you're looking at basically creating a nice big car park three lanes wide on the southern motorway because of the amount of growth that's going into the, the residential area. You know, the, the volume of residential traffic is just going to swamp the upgraded roads. So by having a complementary public transport system, in this case rail, uh, with significantly increased capacity because of the electrification, the two complement each other and the growth is coped with in terms of the transport network. Papakainga network development, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Um, it is for in that critical area of social housing. You know, we've been crying out for more houses uh, for the social side of, of the housing equation. Um, and so that's a nationwide one that, that's great. And I think the other good housing one in there, of course, is, is the, the Unitec campus in, in Auckland, which that one's been floating around for a long time. So fast-tracking the consent for that will allow them to get on with it. And, and I think that's one of the issues that we have here um, in terms of some of the bigger, larger-scale, larger employee-based um, pieces of infrastructure work that are coming our way is that it takes so long to consent to things. And so this is a good example, as I said earlier, of, of clearing that hurdle because the RMA is not fit for purpose. It, do, it doesn't support or enable growth, and we've had a lot of growth in the country, and we do want to um, catch up. You know, we've got an infrastructure deficit in New Zealand that's decades long in the making, and it does need to be fixed. We hear a lot about that, how the RMA isn't fit for purpose. But, yep. you know, some of these projects are a big deal for people, like Unitech. Do you think that these people are still going to kick up a big fuss about that, that could hold things up? Well, I think if one of the key reasons for the RMA not being fit for purpose is it doesn't actually protect the environment. We commissioned a piece of work by the Environmental Defence Society, uh, it must be about two, three years ago now, and we're going to say, well, that was us, Infrastructure New Zealand and Property Council New Zealand, and it found on basically every measure the RMA fails to protect the environment. The, the thing that it does do, however, is it allows um, the good old NIMBYs to, to pile in at any stage of the process and stop development. And I think, yes, it's a big deal, but intensification of the housing stock that we've got in Auckland and around the rest of the country, but particularly in Auckland, is something that's allowed under the unitary plan. So having at almost every step of the way the ability for somebody to step in and object um, is really detrimental to the outcomes of the unitary plan. And that was a good process. In fact, this sort of fast-tracking of, of consents they're doing now 
is not dissimilar to the way that worked in terms of using experts and commissioners to work through the plan. But I think the key thing to remember and focus on here is, is this is actually a, a, a clearing of the regulatory hurdles to get these ones on the way. They have been around for quite some time. And, yeah, yeah mm. for example, that electrification of Pukekohe, uh to rail, that, that's been floating around for a couple of decades at least. So in, in some ways it's a quick start and it's a good start, but it is just a start. There's more to come. That You can't downgrade the value of these projects because they're long identified and ready to go. And so that's 1,200 jobs that will, could be on stream in months rather than years. With goodwill and coordinated effort, you know, the majority of these can be underway, hopefully, inside three months. And that's very fast. Dealing with what we're dealing with as a world at the moment with COVID, it certainly makes you realise what really is important in life. Earlier this month, Paul Blair hosted Vision Week, a webinar of industry leaders, future thinkers and politicians talking about a post-COVID reset for the country. The glory of a diverse country is that we had plenty of diverse themes. But for me, um, New Zealand is in a really, really fortunate place. Um, but we've, all, we've never had a strategic plan. And so what we've tried to provoke was what is the vision of what we want to achieve for this country so that we set a strategic plan. It'll change, right? But you set a plan for where you're going. So you say, we've got 5 million Kiwis now. What standard of living do we currently enjoy? You measure it with the wellbeing framework, so you've got a balanced view. And then you say, well, look, in 30 years' time, are we going to be 5 million people or 12 or 4? And what sort of standard of living are they going to have? Are they going to be having high income but really poor environment? That's no good. So what you've got to do is you've got to set a standard of living um, for Kiwis, and then you've got to figure out from those outcomes that you agree what you want to do to get there. And so that's a possibilities framework. It's not uh, the framework that we've come to um, use in the last 30 years of um, we've got $100, we can get four outcomes from it. It says we need to achieve this level, what do we have to do to go get it? And that might be public-private partnerships. It might be a fundamentally different way of delivering services or bringing in domestic investment or foreign investment. It might be restructuring our regions. But what it would do is it unleash a torrent of one of the things that Kiwi is great at, which is innovating to get to a goal. But, you know, we're great when an America's Cup or a Rugby World Cup comes along. COVID, for me, is our Olympics moment where we should treat New Zealand as a social enterprise. We should figure out what we want to do, set a vision, set a plan, and then, hey, waka eka noa, get us all rowing the, the waka together. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're using Apple, give us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Paul Blair from Infrastructure New Zealand and Alan McDonald from the EMA. Ka nui tēnei.